0: Our friends are coming in, Joe and Kelly. Everyone is here. Our regulars are here. So if you guys are here, you know what you need to do. You need to start dropping those emojis into the chat. Those emojis that signify the mood that you're in right now. Let's drop them into the chat so that we know how everyone is doing. Show me. She is doing good. She says, happy Friday, everybody. (laughs) Everybody pozo hey live from new york city and a special friend of mine joyce bellows hey joyce how is everything going with you now joe you're cheating <laughs> joe is dropping the happy emojis into the chat so guys welcome to another episode of the friday Frosters. you know what's funny i believe now We are actually on episode 10. I believe today is episode 10, you guys. Can you believe that we've made it all the way to episode 10? Just talking about fraud on Fridays on LinkedIn. So we thank each and every one of you for joining us. But again, put those emojis in the chat so that I know how everyone is feeling. I want everyone to be in a good mood when you come in here and you start talking to us. Joyce is having a good time. Hey, Naisha, you are here today. What a pleasant surprise. Suzette, hey Suzette, that's right, you're here. Suzette, I'll try to whisper so the people at work don't hear me, okay? (laughs) Leslie, Leslie's in a party mood. Dan is here again and Dan is happy and Matt is here. Matt is all smiles, but look at Lorraine, you guys. Lorraine is dancing. Lorraine, where are you going dancing and what kind of dancing are you doing? We want to come with you. Hey, Jacina is here again and she is really happy. She's like double happy. <laughs> or is she at happy hour and seeing double? One or the other? <laughs> that was terrible. I'm so sorry. That was terrible. That was terrible. So, happy Friday everyone. Let's start off with Internal Audit Awareness Month. This is our last Friday for Internal Audit Awareness Month. So, like I've said the previous Fridays, our job is a hard one. You guys, there's oftentimes a love-hate relationship between auditors and audit clients, right? They (laughs) hate to see us coming and love to see us going, right? But, in all seriousness, May is also Mental Health Awareness Month. So take care of yourselves. I know sometimes we hear some cruel things from our audit clients. Don't take it personal. Uh, But if you also need some help, go get some help. Don't be afraid to get help. Again, we have a very hard job to do. And sometimes it takes a mental uh, it, it taxes you mentally. So don't be afraid to get help. Internal Audit Awareness Month. Also, Mental Health Awareness Month. Let's just dive right into our first story. Some of you guys have seen the video the trailer what's the state of your street so what we're talking about today is one bank state street corporation agreed to pay 115 million dollars in criminal penalties and accepted a compliance monitor for 2 years we'll talk about a compliance monitor in just a minute they did this to settle charges that the bank deliberately overcharged clients for years now the the fraud was pretty simple what they did was they added a secret markup to charges and passed them off to clients as out-of-pocket expenses. And let me give you an example. So for example, State Street would sometimes incur charges from uh, Swift. Now, let me tell you what Swift is. Swift is simply a secure network that banks use to send messages. That's all it is. But there's a charge to use Swift and it's usually on a per-transaction basis. So Let's just say if your standard Swift charge was between two cent and 15 cent per transaction, rather than passing along that relatively low cost, State Street would bill the clients for about five dollars per transaction and they wouldn't disclose the markup. It's estimated that they made about three hundred million dollars doing this over. uh Well, we'll tell you how long it was in just a minute. So now before we get into this, let me add one other piece to this, because when you see things like this, you wonder, did people at the organization know? And if they did, how did they let it happen? Well, the Department of Justice went in and did an investigation. And, well, that's why State Street agreed to pay the fine, because they found evidence showing certain things. So what I'm going to show you next is a piece of evidence directly from the Department of Justice documentation and It is an email between what they call co-conspirator four. There were about 10 co-conspirators and they they redacted the names, right? But co-conspirator four had something quite telling to say. So here's the email. In an email to an assistant vice president in State Street's accounting operations group, he said, and I quote, the issue is we are charging $5 for a swift message, but the cost is much less. We can't be in a position on a client that they discover that we are taking them to the cleaners on swift charges. The assistant vice president then replied sometime back at the beginning of time, there was some form of analysis that arrived at the $5 per message today. That figure is grossly inaccurate in terms of actual cost or any legitimate defendable, fully loaded cost. I would absolutely not charge this rate to any new clients. So, I think what we're looking at here is, well, an email that acknowledges that something is wrong. Uh, Joe, Kelly, what do you guys think about
1: it? Joe's like at a horse at the gate, just like. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! But the first thing I want to say is this has like, remember the LIBOR, you know, where they were doing the prices like behind the scenes again, they made over three hundred million. They only paid one hundred and fifteen million. Risk reward, it pays. I hate to say it. It freaking pays.
2: And what's sad is that is some executives we know maybe co-conspirator 4, whatever his name was, his or her name was, and uh, that. But um, that's their that's their rationalization for it is that that cost benefit unless. We do more than just the penalties, the fines, the money for this. And yeah, anyway.
0: What do you think, Kelly?
1: Oh, God. It just makes me like it's institutionalized. It's so awful to think that, you know, I can't imagine going and working at a place where you know that this is institutionalized. And it's all about just hitting your bonuses or making more money. And, you know, excuse my French, screw the little person. I'm so tired of that. Like it just, it's like the hospital Lenox Hill hospital charging three grand for a COVID test. It's that tone at the top that allows it. Mm
0: -hmm. And what
1: do you do when you're a lower employee and you see it and you know, you know, they're not going to change it because it's just like a lobster fest for them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. I I agree 100 percent. But let's go to the person that always makes me think differently about things. Right. Hal says, why potentially uh, while potentially unfair and non-customer friendly, is it really fraud?
2: Well, here's my Kelly and I have had this conversation and I don't know that this really answers the question, but I always get asked, what's the difference between ethics and fraud? And because, you know, I I say I teach ethics, I don't teach fraud, like perhaps Kelly would say she does. Um, And I always say every fraud is unethical. But not all unethical behavior is fraud yet. And I think that's where a lot of the dissection of this needs to happen. To me, where it comes into play. I mean, I think we can all agree that this was unethical. This is unethical behavior. I think it's, to me, what leads it to be fraud is the people who knew, who agreed to keep doing it. I mean, if you look at the, you know, Kelly, maybe you know the definition of fraud by heart, but it is that intentional deception of another person, right? And and I think that to me is what makes this fraud. Depending on who knew, who passed over it a hundred times, um, I don't know, Kelly. I mean, what do you guys think? That's where I think it it does draw that that line
1: you know i'm just i've seen so many things lately that just it makes me really sad to think that people have to go to a job and do something that they know is wrong and you know we can sit there and go oh well quit you know but you got a mortgage you've got kids in private school or whatever but think of how miserable those people are in their whole career to be like that, I just, oh, my God. It just makes, like, this week has just really hit me. It's like, I feel badly for people that have that feel they have to do that. Or they can remove themselves. Like, well, it's always been done. You know, the thing, it's always been done that way.
2: And that's what we hear as auditors a lot, right? They, a lot of people don't know why they even do things. I always say that's that kind of that group think mentality. Well, we've always done it that way. I think what gets me on this one is that the contracts explicitly said that they would pass directly pass the charges through, not mark them up. And so to me, it's this clear cause or clause in agreements, in contracts that were blatantly not being followed. So that I mean, yes, I know that a lot of industries do markups, but do those industries disclose the markups to their clients? Because I you know we know that, and a lot of there's not there's a lot of uneducated consumers out there that don't read the fine print, so they don't realize they're getting those commissions or those fees those markups passed along to them, and then there's situations like this where they were explicitly saying they wouldn't do it, and they did and and that to me is the difference
1: so well, and Hal said, how is it different than overdraft charges? Well, overdraft charges. Like you know, you're overdrafting, and these people didn't know that. You know,
2: it, it's a knowledge thing. I mean, it's it's a disclosure. It's a yeah. You know, we know those overdraft fees are there. This was an explicit statement that they wouldn't be, you know, marked up or, or passed. The direct charge would be passed on. So I think that's the difference. But yeah,
0: yeah, well, and and another part of it too is when you talk about the the type of financial instruments that they would that they were uh, adding this charge to it should have been disclosed. Um, They were talking about financial instruments where you were supposed to disclose the amount of those fees. And so customers would have had the option of going with them or maybe going with a broker that offered lower fees if they had known what the lower fee actually was. And so that that was a part of it, too. So it was the contract and it was the disclosure that actually got them from what I read and from what I could tell. Because I think Hal makes a good point. It is no different from overdraft fees if the fee is actually disclosed. And if you're transparent about it, they weren't transparent about it. And that is why it was considered a fraud.
2: Right. And I think, you know, doesn't it bring up a great point, uh, that email that you read? that said somebody some point did some sort of analysis to come up with this $5 number instead of this $0.05 number. And I think that's such a great story to share. Uh, As auditors are asking, I just remember asking my actuarial department, I don't you know, I want to know how you came up with the, the numbers, the models, the estimates like you have to learn to document that uh, because who knows? We don't know. Maybe there was some legitimate reason for this at one point in time. But if even the business area doesn't start documenting the, these decisions, it does just get passed along. It's like the game of telephone. It might even get worse uh, down the road. So anyway, I just I don't know.
0: Yeah, so so you bring up a good point and typically the way the Swift charges work is it's based on um dollar amount divided by anticipated number of transactions and so that's how you come up with pennies on the dollar and as the bank grew so initially at some point it probably was higher but as the bank got more customers and the dollar amount the asset base became bigger then that amount reduced and they didn't reduce it as the pass uh passed down fee to customers in a corresponding fashion. So that's then, a part of what happened,
2: and that seems like justifiable a, a little bit. That that explanation that you just gave, Robert, seems so reasonable to me, but yet, you mean obviously there's been some investigations done into this, and there was mm-hmm. deceit, though, right? That's what they're finding, and I think that's what gives gets us back to the fraud is that they continued knowing they were doing it, and a lot of people knew they were doing it,
1: so. And this isn't the first time that they've caught, been caught or caught, you know, they right. had another penalty, but the problem is, is state street does this. Wells Fargo does this. Can a little bank do this stuff? No. Cause they don't have armies of attorneys. It's just like, you know, they could, they couldn't take on Steve Cohen because he has armies of attorneys. What about, again, I'm on my little high horse today about the underdog. Like, you know what? It's like, okay, we can't do it, but someone like State Street can. And I started watching um, The Startup, and uh, it's about GenCoin, and I'm only a couple episodes into it.
0: Oh, it's good.
1: Okay, you've seen it? Have you seen all of it? Yes. Oh, okay. So we're only like four or five episodes in, but I like it because it's like they're taking on the establishment. And- Like, you know, not to go all crazy on you guys, but it's like people are tired of seeing Wall Street win at the expense of Main Street.
0: Well, I'll take this a step further. That email exchange that I just read that happened in 2007.
2: Yeah, you hadn't talked about the time frame yet. I think you were going to drop that in for everybody, Robert. So maybe now is the time to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, this email exchange happened in 2007. And so they were saying that this occurred over a span of what was it, 12 years or was it 18 years? 17.
2: 17.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it occurred over a span of 17 years. So now let's move. Well, before we move along to talking about a monitor and what that means for them, what this means for us as consumers is look at your statements. Question the transactions and how much you're being charged, especially when you deal with financial instruments, mutual funds and things like that. You have load funds, no load funds, and that stuff makes a difference. Those small dollar amounts per transaction adds up now. For us as internal auditors, what that means is we need to be looking at the fees that we're charging customers, the fees that we're generating, especially if you don't want to be in the same position that this bank is. So I think that this is a, a, a huge lesson for internal audit departments. If you've never looked at it, look at it. If you have looked at it, take a second look at it.
2: Yeah, that's always been my stance. I think Robert and I have talked. It's not just about it's not even just about looking at it and recalculating the numbers it's about asking the why, why do we do this? Why do I see that this swift charge is 5 cents, but we're passing on $5. It's just asking why, Um, I always look beyond the numbers. And I think that's just a a lesson for auditors in general.
1: Well, and also the clients, like, okay, I had to call a flex spending plan this week. Oh. Oh my God. Phone call, phone treat, like, and you're going to go, really? This is worth it for $4.50. They won't. Like, I don't have time to deal with that. Uh, it's just like, it's a $6 prescription. I don't care. And they expect us to, I don't care. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I think, I mean, we've always said we want this show to be not just good for us as, you know, as professionals, but as people to know what to look out for. So I think, yeah, this is one of those. That was a great, great transition to that.
0: Right. Well, Hal brings up another good point, though. Look at the, uh, wait, where was the other one that Hal said? (laughs) Hal said, and were incentive comp targets set for payouts based on the earnings from the swift charge markups?
2: Yeah, now are we, we, uh, I think Dan was the one that said, Wells Fargo number two. You know, yes. I think incentive comp plans are the root, root of all evil <laughs> organizations.
0: Yeah. And that's what Hal just said. The incentive compensation, what you pay for, you know, what you reward is what will be done. Absolutely. Right. If, if you pay for this, then that's what you're going to see is more action around whatever it is that you incentivize. Right. Uh, so now here's what's interesting. They also had to get a monitor. Um, so let's talk about what a monitor is. So the monitor's primary responsibility is to assess and oversee the, the the entity. So somebody from the outside is now going to come in and look at their compliance. Now, State Street's specific monitor, the person hasn't been appointed yet. So you can you can either go find one or, or the government the Department of Justice will appoint one for you. Uh, either way, it's kind of not good. It's like having someone babysit an adult. Right. But. Uh, <laughs> Did I just say that? But the monitor will be monitoring three broad categories of the bank's operations. It's billing systems, their compliance program and their training. They were required to train people at the organization on uh, ethics and they're going to look at their culture. So that tells you that what they found was they've considered it to be extremely egregious If they're saying, We need to monitor your ethical climate here. And we need you to get ethical training. What do you guys think about that?
2: I think I'd love to do it.
0: I think they should hire you to do it.
2: Uh, I think that I spend a lot of time on their website, just even looking at their values. And uh, I found the word ethics one very hidden place. And that's what concerned me the most. I think we've seen people... Talk of, I mean, Kelly talks tone at the top all the time. Uh, I saw a couple of people say that there, but until they even, and I know that these are just words on a website. So it's going to take a lot more than that to put them into actions, but you've got to start somewhere. And I think that's why this is one of those main three pieces is training because I mean, it's, it goes back to the behavior, behavioral psychology Um, you know, behavioral ethics, you have to get ethics at the forefront of your culture for all your employees. And I just, Kelly mentioned that they've been in the news a lot. I've actually done a lot of research on how much State Street has been in the news over the last 20 years. So like she said, that this is not the first time. So there is an underlying issue. And I'm glad that they recognize that. And, you know, I'm glad they have this new compliance plan or monitor compliance monitoring plan. I hope it works, but they need a lot of shifting if you ask me, Um, just poking through their website.
1: So this is where I'm gonna go, like again, my soapbox, you know what, they're gonna get a high priced attorney who literally doesn't even know what SWIFT stands for. And it's like, get someone who actually can do it and not just be a figurehead. that. It, you know, not to pick on like Louis free or whatever, Irving. like those people will do it, but really have they ever been boots on the ground? Like it drives me nuts. They will get someone who is just, you know, a picture frame,
2: a big name.
1: Yeah. They're going to get a big name. They're going to pay a bunch of money. That person's going to take them out to dinners and da-da-da. And there, it, you know- it drives me crazy.
2: I know, they'll create another conflict of interest is what they'll do by by hiring. Ooh. I mean, that's that's what ends up in these situations, SAD. And uh, can you, uh, uh, Pozo, I really appreciate that by the way. But, uh, well, I,
0: I left it up for a very long time for a reason, <laughs> right? I think we're trying to send subliminal messages to people here, Yeah. Uh, but how?
2: Yeah, how hit the nail on the head that, yep. that I say all the time to internal auditors, Quit letting, letting your organization hire these fancy Six Sigma consultants to do these end-to-end process reviews. You get in there and show them that you can do that work. And I I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that their internal audit group could put together a great monitoring, ethics training. You know, that's what I I love when internal audit groups get involved in that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure they're a, upset about it they could be doing it
0: absolutely hal hit it dead on the head but check out what Shelmi said in south africa government entities uh made it's made a chargeable offense for governmental officials to approve inflated ppe purchases during the COVID pandemic yeah. wow and then hal asked another really good question who does the compliance monitor report to
2: that's where the conflict of interest could really come into
1: play right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i just th- th- this is just it gets really really frustrating when they always think it's the lawyer that's going to fix it like it isn't always a lawyer who's going to fix
2: it and well, th- yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you kelly
1: I no just- no no i just like it, it's Let's the, use real people who've done the real work fix it.
2: Well, and uh, a, on the lawyer note, totally different note than what you're talking about. I wish they would remember that just because something's legal, it's not ethical. Yeah. And I've said that a lot. And I think that, um, you know, that that came into play with even Enron and Andy Fastow saying, you know, what he did was legal. It followed U.S. Gap. Like, yep. But now he recognizes that it wasn't ethical. And this is this is the difference between companies that care about ethics. It doesn't turn into fraud. Um, I just, I see the lawyers as, um, you know, just kind of letting companies ignore their ethics. And sorry if that offends anybody, but I think, you know, that's just, that's a lot of times what they do. In fact, there is another state, state street story that I sent to Kelly and Rob about 15 minutes ago. So they didn't have time to read it yet. Uh, I'll post it. I in- read it. Uh, did you? Okay. I I'll post the link in this comment field because I think you guys will be really interested to see some things that happened. You know, back even before the financial crisis, um, ongoing. Another gentleman was um, basically charged with upcharging clients. Kind of same thing. His whole defense was looking for an email from a lawyer that said it was okay. He thought that that was going to get him off the hook. I mean, and it just killed me that that was what he was looking for, for his defense. And he's so mad at state street for hiding this email and it still doesn't make it okay. So anyway, that's another soapbox, but I'll, I'll put the link in
1: there. Have to go guys. guys. Thank you. See you next Friday. you.
0: You know, so Joe, here's what I really, really like because Apparently, we are in good company because we know some very smart people. Uh, So like Dan says, they look at the legal penalty cost and as a cost of doing business. When you think about it, if they earn 300 million over that time period, but they only have to pay out one hundred and eighteen thousand. Now, granted, you're going to pay more in the end because the monitor is going to cost you money and all the other good stuff. But the says they don't let IA do the monitoring task because the question from the top is, why didn't they catch this? And then, of course, our A's retort back is, well, why weren't you transparent with us? Yeah. I mean, um, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, we don't know the story, to be honest, right, to be put it yeah. out there. But unfortunately, I, you know, this is the case a lot of times. They want to know why didn't the auditors catch the fact that we were passing on this out-of-pocket or markup to clients when I bet they were looking at invoices, I bet they were looking at contracts. And I think it all goes back to that. They may not be asking the question why, even if they're asking the question why, maybe the management is bullying them out of continuing to pursue it. We don't know, but it does seem like it's a culture issue. So we could see that happening. I think we've seen it happen in plenty of other organizations.
0: And but- Hal is right there with you. He's in agreement. But isn't the issue that they need to fix the culture? This is not a compliance issue. This is a culture issue. I agree 100 percent, because if even if you look at if you read the Department of Justice documents, I think it's about 90 pages. And yeah, I read all of them so that you guys didn't have to. But that one email I pulled out was quite interesting. And you can see that internally they were saying this is wrong. So then what happened? And and this was a vice president, no, an assistant vice president. So if an assistant vice president is saying this is wrong, you're at the top or darn near close to it. Right. So why didn't that issue get resolved if you have someone who's at the top of the chain saying this is wrong? What happened? Why didn't that person take it further or why didn't the organization take it further? But then Lorraine actually said. She worked for State Street while she was in college and they've always had issues. And then she said bye to Kelly. So. Oh. <laughs>
2: but I think um, I, I agree that it's a culture issue. I think that sadly, it's an everybody issue when you work for an organization that, you know, has issues. Uh, so can I take compliance and audit out of that? No, I think it's a culture of everybody at State Street. That everybody probably, to some degree, was looking the other way. Um, at least that's my that's my. Oh, that's that's really everybody. Have,
0: so for those who don't get Hal's joke. Hal said it's a bank. Everyone is at least an AVP. And it is so true. In banking, there's so many assistant vice presidents running around. I mean, I was an assistant vice president in a bank when I was in my uh 20s. So, you uh, know, it just...
2: You were a bank teller, Robert? Didn't you tell us last time you were a bank teller? I was
0: a teller when I was in college. Now, I wasn't an assistant vice president as a teller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy! Uh, and then Lorraine, Lorraine is on it today because they do have lobbyists uh, that are just, you know, the lobbyists are doing what lobbyists are supposed to do. Nothing get bad against lobbyists. That's what they're paid to do. So I get that and I understand that.
2: What I I think to get back to your point, though, Robert, of why didn't someone speak up? Why didn't this happen? Is they've bred a culture of let's wait and react to it when we get caught. And unfortunately, with these big corporations, that's typically. I think a lot of these executives consciously make that decision. Maybe, like some of you said, that's a cost-benefit analysis of how much fines and penalties we're going to get when they finally get caught. But it's this nature of these bigger organizations, mostly, uh, and all, all sizes, to be reactive, not proactively identify the issues, not proactively get in front of them. Let's wait and see if we get caught, and then we'll fix it then. I'm Which not- is
0: why they need Joe to train them <laughs>
2: Get on my proactive soapbox with me when it comes down. I if
0: I, can, if I can make it blink there. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> just it.
0: a little bit of subliminal or not so subliminal messaging. Uh, yeah. yeah. is on it again. The top dog gets the biggest incentive payout. He won't rock the boat. Yep. <laughs>
2: That's uh, Yep.
0: Oh, yep. boy. Oh 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 boy, when do we just sick Elizabeth Warren on them? That will solve the <laughs> Sorry. Hal, you've got to st- <laughs> Hal, I'm trying to run a semi-serious show here.
2: Yeah. And Lorraine, I agree. Um, you know, does it come back to a a whistleblower issue when whistleblowers are not encouraged at an organization? I mean, this all goes back to what kind of hotline do they have? You know, what What kind of reporting do they have? Who looks at it? Who's involved? I think internal audit should know everything that comes through a whistleblower hotline. And I have met about, uh, I would say, 60% of audiences that I tr- teach and train, internal auditors do not know what's coming through that hotline. And if they do, they're just checking the box that the hotline exists. They're not even reading it. That's what one of my clients was doing. And I'm like, this is where... You've got to get more involved, and I think when I've seen auditors look the other way from this touchy stuff, is when I I just I hope we can build that you know that courage for auditors to get in there and start investigating. Be an investigative journalist. That's what I say all the time.
0: Now I will say to your point, auditors should know what's coming through that hotline. And I worked for two organizations where I was the chief auditor, and I actually did own the hotline, so it was mine. Until at one organization they actually took it away from me. Uh, I'll just leave that at that. I mean, (laughs) 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 but Lorraine is on it again. We know whistleblowers get bad bad treatment now you guys we are at our midpoint the next story you are going to want to hang on tight to it because it is funny and i well not funny haha but funny strange and i have some interesting things that i want to show you guys about the next story but before we go to the next story joe tell the people what you're doing what are you up to
2: um I'm ready for summer. I've got my Memorial Day uh, outfit on. I even did my nails. Um, So that's what I'm up to today. I'm looking forward to a long weekend and I hope you guys all do too. I know Pozo is checking out for the weekend. So happy Memorial Day to everyone. Um, Coming back in June, uh, CPE Book Club. I keep talking about it because more and more people keep signing up and I can't wait to have it. June 24th is Adam Grant's book, Think Again. No, Adam Grant is not coming. It'll just be me talking about his book, but I hope to make it as entertaining as possible. And it's gonna be great for auditors. It's gonna be all about how we can start to dance with our audit clients and not debate with them. And I think it's just gonna be a great way to really teach and train auditors to have better conversations with their auditees. So again, think again, June 24th, Adam Grant, go to cpebookclub.com.
0: And if you want to know more about the book club, you can see another link to get to Joe's website to the book club as well, cpebookclub.com. And then the link scrolling across the screen for those of you watching the replay. So that's what Joe's up to. And me, well, I'm doing kind of nothing. I'm just hosting the Friday Frosty show. No, seriously, uh, my boot camp is in full gear. Uh, we'll be opening opening up a third cohort after summer. I'm a little worn out with the two cohorts that I have now. One is a decent size and the other one is very small. And I love the small one, actually. I like to keep it small. But it is the Ask Better Questions Bootcamp where we teach auditors to ask better questions, get better answers, and perform better audits. As always, if you want audit gear, you can go to my website, thatauditguy.com backslash apparel. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, we've heard from our sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've heard from our sponsors, let's talk about this next story. Hold on to your hats, guys. Give me just one moment to set us up appropriately for this next story here. Ah, uh, You guys didn't know secretly I, I am an octopus. So as I'm running and managing everything, I have like eight hands. So you guys saw the title of it. It is the Doubtful Identities, the Fake Driver scam. And if you haven't seen this story, here's the headline from Forbes. So what happened was a former prosecutor in Southern California, in the Southern California branch of the Department of Justice, he saw the scam and he couldn't believe that it worked. It was so simple, he says. He was surprised that a ride share and delivery companies hadn't spotted it. What happened was the home the Department of Homeland Security was tipped off to a case in which Brazilian nationals appeared to have stolen thousands of rideshare and delivery company customer identities across California. The companies affected include Amazon, Uber and Uber Eats, Instacart, DoorDash, Postmate, Lyft and Grubhub. They used the stolen identities to create driver and courier accounts. At the same companies. Some may have even claimed referral bonuses, sometimes as much as fifteen hundred dollars for finding, quote unquote, new (laughs) drivers. Now, according to a former investigator, again, he was surprised at how easily the scheme could have been prevented. So the suspects, they use basic tricks. So, for example, if someone purchased alcohol and they were delivering alcohol, they would simply ask the customer for proof of age and then use their phone to photograph the driver's license and other ID cards. And then they would use Photoshop to replace the photos on the real identities with the fake identities. They were saying that the criminals actually had rudimentary Photoshop skills and they were so bad that at le- in at least one case, the criminals changed the main photo, but forgot to change the photo at the bottom of one ID card. So the ID card actually had two different uh, pictures on it. Hmm. So <laughs> what do you think about that?
2: Oh, um, I, I love some of the comments and I'll put the article in the comments so everybody can read it, too. Um, this is not such an incredibly technologically sophisticated hacking of platforms like i loved that comment because you know we're so hellbent on looking at cybersecurity controls and not getting hacked and that if i had to guess i would love to think that uber and amazon are worried about those things that this just slipped through But it's interesting how simple it was. That's what they keep reiterating on here. And just even had, so here, I mean, here's the thing is they basically, in my mind, they're employees of Amazon or employees of Uber driving people around. Uh, They are employees of those companies that weren't vetted, that weren't, no background checks. And I, you know, this crosses the line with a company like Uber to me on ethical Issues. I mean, we know Uber has had its share of problems over the years, Um, but this is a safety of your stakeholders issue. I mean, I don't, I jotted down a lot of notes for this one because you could take it a lot of different places. I think that it's scary to me that they weren't focused on this, but I guarantee it's because they were focused on things, bigger things. And unfortunately, the stakeholders, the customers, uh, kind of got screwed at the at the end of the day because of this kind of overlooked scenario now it does say that uber found it that they self-reported this and if i had to guess it would have been through data analytics because what they found was all of these fake drivers for their company had the same address
0: oh we're gonna get there
2: yeah so right we are definitely
0: so, going to get there
2: i mean so they were doing something but was it too reactive I mean, that's that's the whole point. I mean, background checks on employees, on contractors. That's the proactive way to get legitimate workers uh, that that you you know, you know who they are. And that's where they miss the boat. Yes, it's great. They found it detectively later. But I, I just don't I don't think we should focus on that piece of it. They want to pat on the back for that. And I just I don't I can't really give it to them right now.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the the Department of Justice said that. um Got a small friend in here with me today, you guys. The Department of Justice said that the deli- that the delivery and ride sharing companies were employing drivers who were abusing their jobs to create fake accounts. But what's really strange is that they had one driver that had over 7000 ride shares on Uber. Now, that's a lot of Uber rides. And what one investigator for Homeland Security or a former investigator said was, he said, does it make sense that you would have 30 or so people living in one address, working on your behalf. So that's back to your point, Joe. But one individual, they, they're saying made at least $90,000 through ride shares over a three-year period. And another made about 70,000 because they were using real identities. So what's happening now is I'm, I'm guessing that some people had extra income from that. And They're going to have to report that to the IRS. But didn't they notice that they had extra income? And I'm not I'm not victim blaming, Joe. I know we talk about that a lot. But you saw extra income, 70,000 in one case, 90,000 in another. You know that you didn't work that amount. You know, you didn't.
2: Right. Yeah. There's so many intricacies to this one. I think that's why. And it hasn't gotten a lot of news coverage. So that's why this one really kind of struck me and why I think it hasn't is because the dollar amounts, they really downplayed in just even in this article. Um, And I'll put it up again. I'll put it up for you guys. But um, they downplay it. They downplay. They say 7000 rides. Yeah, you were with somebody in the car that you didn't even know. But, you know, there's 14 million rides for Uber last year. So what's 7,000? Like they really downplay it. And I think that's why it hasn't gotten a lot of coverage. So let's just.
0: Yeah. Well, and then Jacina makes another good point. This is payroll audit 101, search for fake employees. That's data analytics can handle that. And Yvonne says, you know, product and processes, process is broken. And Hal, again, it's already been said, but incentives drive behavior. Good or bad. So this also happened in uh, Boston as well. And so in Boston, they said as many as 2000 identities were stolen in an almost identical scheme carried out by 19 Brazilian nationals. And they've also said that they were setting up chats in WhatsApp to communicate and that They made nearly two hundred thousand dollars from four hundred and eighty seven referrals from one of the victim companies. So that whole incentive to bring on new drivers and stuff like that. But here's where I want to go next. I'm going to do a pop quiz and I want you guys to tell me what you think about this. And, And what I'm going to do is give you the responses that the individual companies had. Because I had some thoughts when I heard their responses. So an Uber spokesperson said that the company itself initially uncovered the fraud and alerted authorities in Boston. The scheme was sophisticated. Sorry, had something in my throat. The (laughs) scheme was sophisticated and international in scope. The spokesperson said, and I quote now, we are grateful for the investigative work done by federal agents that helped dismantle this operation and hold those responsible. Uber has a global investigations team and systems in place to help track and flag this type of sophisticated, fraudulent behavior, enabling us to assist law enforcement with investigations that protect our users. Joe, what do you think about that?
1: I
2: think I already jumped the gun and told you a little bit (laughs) about what I thought about that. You did. I mean... I, I my notes say is Uber doing enough? You know question mark on that. Um, and I just again it's it's detecting after the fact. I feel like there needs to be more emphasis put on preventative measures than detective. So that's where my mind went. I don't know what did you think when you because you said you had some gut reactions when you. I mean I, I I agree with you by the way with that getting something caught in your throat about it being such a. <laughs> international uh scheme Three. you know
0: I, I will say with uber especially now that i know how the others responded i was actually impressed with uber because they caught it and they alerted authorities now i was a little less than impressed with the uh political posturing in the press release saying that it was sophisticated because it was not a sophisticated scheme at all no. but the fact that Uber also has an investigative team, I, I was impressed with that as well because we know a lot of companies that have no investigators on staff; they just kind of wait until stuff happens. So, so now, with that said, and I'm I'm, I'm actually curious to know what Hal thinks, but I think Hal had to drop off early today. But let's talk about uh, DoorDash's response, and let me just get to to Jacina real quick. Sounds like they have a great PR person, right? Yeah. Right, because. Literally, to me, it was impressive enough that they had an investigative unit and that they caught it and that they went to uh, uh investigators. I just to me, I thought that was great because a lot of companies don't have these. And before we move on, Pozo, why did customers allow their IDs to be taken pictures of? I don't know. Right. Right. That's a very good question. Right.
2: I don't. I mean, I, I think. You know, I'm thinking signing for a FedEx package that happened to be a box of wine, not to like tell everybody what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, I had to hand my ID to the guy. And, you know, would I have, he carries that little handheld device to like match the stuff. Like, I'm just thinking, would I have paid attention if he had somehow snapped a picture of my driver's license? I mean, we're all busy, we're all doing other things, but do I, I mean, this was a lesson for me again. Do I need to pay more attention? When we're getting ID would somewhere, do we need to pay more attention to what they're doing with their driver's license? Again, I think this can be a good lesson for all of us, too. Um,
0: Very true. Yeah. Check out Mark. Guess who trained the Uber investigative staff? Now, I'm Mark. Mark, Hmm. (laughs) If I were to guess, if I were to guess. So for those of you who don't know who Mark Anderson is, Mark does training, interview training for people who are doing investigations and he is darn good at it, too. So um, but but
2: can can I go back to my soapbox really quick and back to the article that said tech companies. So we're going to put Uber and DoorDash in that bucket for right now, have long struggled to identify well edited documents. And I put next to that. Why? So, like, yes, I, I think it's great that they have a investigative unit. That's really funny, by the way. Um, and I think it's great that they know how to do their job. But could we train the people before that so it doesn't even have to go to an investigations unit to do their jobs better? Remember, I mean, this is about. I'm all about internal audit making permanent process changes so we don't need investigative units. We don't need audits or inspection departments. I mean, I teach TQM all day every day basically and that's what the idea is is to make the process better continuously improve and that's culture changes training changes empowering employees because we don't want investigations units sorry mark uh have to investigate we want the company to do the right things don't worry we're always going to need auditors we're always going to need these units but that's that needs to be for the big stuff that not the simple stuff that we should be catching.
0: I, I, I agree with that. Now, now, Jasina is hilarious. She said, and in quotes, investigative unit, translation, understaffed audit department. But then Mark actually said, you are right. Big staff of investigators and auditors there. So let's talk about DoorDash for a minute. And I want you guys to tell me what you think about their response, especially in contrast to Uber's response. DoorDash said in response to the alleged crime, it had implemented additional controls to combat fraudulent behavior, which includes adding facial recognition scanning as well as performing additional and recurring ID verification checks for dashers to validate their identities and prevent this from happening in the future. Joe, what do you think about that? Because I have a thought about that.
2: Well, you hit the i think you emphasized the word they are implementing meaning they didn't have anything right, so that's obviously where you're going there so again, what are we doing? We're reacting, we're waiting till something bad happens before, so why didn't we have it? Why didn't we have all those procedures in place why i I, I just don't get why some of these things are an afterthought at big companies like this
0: well, and I think what really in, in all seriousness, I think what really disappointed me was the fact that Lyft, I meant DoorDash, sorry, DoorDash does not have an investigative unit similar to what Uber mentioned. Not even knowing how sophisticated Ubers is, the fact that you thought enough to have one, because when you consider their business model, you have precious cargo, you have human lives in the hands of essentially strangers and, And so I would think that knowing your like in banking, what you have to know your customer, right? So I would assume that knowing your employee, especially since you can't really know your customer as well, knowing your employee would be vitally important. So facial recognition, yeah, okay. Recurring ID verification checks, okay. That's I think it was Jacena that said earlier, you know, you you do a simple payroll audit one on one. You look for multiple people. At the same address. So I think that's what really disappointed me when I read the we are implementing. uh, We're going to do this. We're going to do that to prevent it from happening in the future. This was not a sophisticated crime. Sorry, Uber. Your PR person is real good. This is not a sophisticated crime. A simple payroll audit, a simple uh, um, duplicate match in Excel would have found this really, really quickly. Um, So. So, yeah, I think that's what really made me think about this one in terms of, wait a minute, what? You're you're implementing wait a minute, what? <laughs> so, you, yeah. Um,
2: and that was DoorDash, right? That was yeah, DoorDash. that was DoorDash. So do you think this is just me saying, uh, you know, they don't have people in the cars with them, right? They go get the food and bring it to True. people. Yeah. Are they discounting who their stakeholders are? Because I also have seen ah. companies um that I mean, we we've talked about this with Kelly before, like the further you away you are, the less Um, really empathetic you are to the fraud, right? So, um, you know, are they not thinking of their customers as stakeholders, as maybe Uber hopefully is, we're riding in the car with these employees. I mean, DoorDash, they're just coming and sometimes you don't even interact with them. They just put it on your doorstep, right? But to me, it's still endangering your stakeholders if you don't know who your employees are that are driving with you. So it's, it's kind of irrelevant, but I like to get into what is the mind that of the current
0: culture yeah. so and i'm i'm glad you brought that up because i was i was saying doordash I'm, i was saying wait as i was talking about it i was looking at lyft in my notes but i was thinking doordash so yeah doordash yeah. they don't have the interaction with you but hal says uber treats their drivers as contractors right so not really an employee i, I agree with that hal but we still need to have due diligence over contractors but that's a good point though and, that's, and then
2: and that's how they've gotten themselves into trouble, you know, previously. So, you know, they've already, I feel like, had to address issues with contractors to uh, treat them more like employees. So, you know, if they've been through this, I just, I don't, I keep going back to things like background checks and, you know, simple. Again, yes, ghost employee payroll audits. Yes, that'll catch it. But, uh. Up front, what are we doing
0: here? (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's why Lorraine said, "Well, how did they get proper verification? You know, when 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 like they had to go through the HR process. So, how were they actually onboarded as employees? I wonder if Yvonne is still here. She is our HR guru. So that's DoorDash. Now, let's talk about Lyft for a minute and Lyft's response. So, Lyft told the record or local uh, paper there that it is working with the Department of Justice on the investigation, and it had added extra protections against this kind of fraud. None of the other companies affected by the fraud responded to the request for comment. So at least these three responded, but Lyft said that it had added extra protections against this kind of fraud. Now, Joe, I'll go first on this one. Look, you added extra protections. This type of fraud in and of itself was the most basic. I, I think measures to catch employees who had the same Social Security numbers and addresses. That's an easy one. That's not an extra protection. That is your baseline minimum. So I'll turn it over to you, Joe. I just.
2: <laughs> yeah. What do you think they even mean by that? I, I mean, I, we'll never know. That's why. I mean, yes, these places can hire all these fantastic PR people that know the right vague things to say but we don't we don't even know what that means uh you know they could have hadn't I don't know I mean they could say adding extra but they really didn't have anything to begin with
0: well and I think that's for for me personally now I'll, I'll just speak personally I think that's what's more upsetting to me because honestly if you had nothing and you you just say it I'm better than you trying to blow the smoke over my eyes by coming up with some flowery language just say it because we we will forgive you. I mean, Lyft is a very, I've used Lyft and Uber. I really love the service that they provide. I love being able to go from point A to point B, cheaper than a cab. I love the fact that their drivers let you choose your own music if you want to. They have chargers for you if you need them. These are very valuable services. If you made a mistake, just say we made a mistake. Say we didn't have it because I, for one, would forgive and still patronize the business as long as it wasn't something overly egregious. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: You bring up a great point on that. I actually was going to bring up with State Street on, um, you know, that cost benefit analysis on stuff like this. I wonder at the culture at some of these organizations, if they bring in the cost of their reputation for some of this. And I feel like unfortunately for some of these big name organizations, they aren't worried about it because they can, whether you say justify it, rationalize it away, what happened? I have a feeling they're going to say with this story that it's a, it's small potatoes. It means nothing to their It's not that big of a deal. What happened, uh, again, because of the number of rides affected or, or dollar amounts that people earned? I just, I have a feeling this will be swept under the rug. Uh, so I just, I would love to get into the minds of some of these bigger companies to say, who's going, what is, where is that line where it's going to hurt our reputation? I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So Lorraine and Hal bring up really good points. Lorraine says that they use yeah. E-Verify. There's no way they could have, unless if they did, something's wrong with the E-Verify system, right? Well, um,
2: but but isn't e-Verify, remind me what all it does. Cause I know I've talked to auditors about it before. Does it just check that you're a legitimate uh, like resident that's le- that can work here? Because remember, these were real people with real oh, yeah. entities they were using. So would e Verify have caught that? And that's me just asking the question. Cause I
0: No, that's a good question. Yeah.
2: Uh, Lorraine, you can educate us maybe on that. I thought that the purpose of that was to run socials and names through it. Um, And I don't think in this instance it would have helped. I don't know, though.
0: And Hal brings up a good point. He said that would be an admission of guilt, Robert, and that creates legal liability. Well, I mean, technically, it wouldn't be an admission of guilt because Uber and Lyft and DoorDash aren't the criminals here. Uh, Maybe negligence, but but maybe, maybe not. But yeah, it's a very good point, Hal. You're right. They would end up paying out maybe more in the long run, but maybe not, though. But I just I just think that somewhere there needs to be some uh honesty in that. Uh and, and Lorraine says reputation risk is just an oops, we're sorry. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Was very good. And Dan yeah. is having to leave us early. So Dan, have a good holiday weekend. Yeah. Um and then Hal brings up another good point. Contractors versus employee on e verified. That I'm actually not sure no, about.
2: Either. Yep. I don't yeah,
0: know. Yeah, I I wish I knew, but I am not sure about that one. Um, well, Joe, I think we have successfully wrapped up another episode. This is episode 10. Hmm. We got to come up with a number that where we're going to celebrate. Uh, like, is it 15 or is it 20 or is it 21? Because now you're becoming an adult show, right? You go. <laughs> I love that. You, you can legally. drink.
2: <laughs> I can't wait for our birthday. If We keep keep this up because I was looking back and I was like, I can't believe we've been doing this since March. Because yep. the first one we did was right before my big birthday, uh, so anyway, so we've actually got a show birthday. It's like March twenty sixth, I think. or something
0: Yeah, yeah, this is pretty awesome. Uh, and you know, for me, as long as people keep showing up, because we 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 do really good numbers. I look at the numbers, but for you guys, if Hal said number eleven,
2: <laughs> <Keep the> party!
0: <laughs> for you guys who missed the show, it is always available on LinkedIn via my profile, but. Recently, I've made us available on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon um, podcast, Google podcast. I'm still working on Apple. You all know how I feel about Apple. They're giving me fits uh, for the Corporate Quitters podcast as well as this one. And then pretty soon we'll have some of the videos on YouTube. Uh, The first episode is already on YouTube. If you want to see us, I don't know why anybody would want to see me, but if you want to see us, we're on YouTube, too. So you can use this as training for your audit department or better yet, you can just bring in Joe and uh, Joe and I or Joe or me or you know what I'm trying to say. We've been at this an hour and I'm getting tongue tied. So guys, here's what I will say. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We hope to see you next week. And uh, on that note, I guess we are signing off. Bye. Bye guys and see you next week.
2: Have a great long weekend.